I'll tell you, even when we're missing two or three or four people off our worship team, it is still phenomenal. Amen? You know why? Because it's anointed. And when it's anointed, it's not annoying. Yeah. For years, Leah said I was annoying, so I guess I wasn't anointed. You look beautiful today, by the way. Well, we, we ended our series uh, last week on Living Free, and I just thought it was an amazing series. Uh, it really helped me out a lot, you know, getting into it and studying it. But we're going to change gears, and we're going to start a new series called Transformers. And I've had people ask me when I, talked, when I talked to the leadership, I had actually one of them text me and say, is it spiritual, is it physical, or is it robots in disguise? And I said, all the above. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to cover it all, amen? Because, see, we were, we were created to be transformers. You know, when I became a believer, immediately I had this passion. I had this love. I had this, I don't know, this fire about me. And, and I was transforming on the inside. Things were changing. But the problem was there was a lot of confusion in the body of Christ. You go to this church and they say that. You go to this church and they say this. You go to, matter of fact, you go to a different Christian in the same church and they say something different. You know, I mean, so there's a lot of confusion. So what I decided to do is I decided to open up my Bible for myself, and I decided to study it, and I decided to ask God for wisdom because my Bible says I'm accountable for me. It doesn't say that those other preachers are accountable for me. My Bible says to study to show myself approved, a worker not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what my Bible says. And, and to be honest with you, like I said earlier, it wasn't about being right. It was about knowing the truth. You know, the doctor might be right when he says that you've got the flu. But the truth it says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Well, that's a lie. Well, then God must be a liar because he's the one who calls those things that be not as though they are. See, what he sees is he sees the truth in the eternal he sees the truth in the supernatural. He sees the truth in not the physical realm, but he sees the truth in what created the physical realm, which was the word of God, the very word that was spoken out of his mouth. The reason why Christianity is probably the most intelligent thing you can do and believe and believe in God is because of quantum physics and quantum mechanics, which is science. Because it took the things that you could not see and created the things that you can see. Because in the subatomic realm, you can't see the atoms and all those things. You can't see that with your eye. Well, you can't see God with your physical eye. But you know what? You can see him by the works that are all around you. It takes more intelligence to believe that a mechanic fixed your car then all of a sudden, a bunch of gases came together and exploded, and your car got fixed. How stupid can we be and still breathe? Anyway, I'm not going there. You don't have notes this morning because it was my fault. I, I sent them late. I sent them to the media department late, and I forgot to attach your notes. So we're going off my notes. <laughs> so in John 6, 63... And I don't think it's, I don't think I gave them this one. It's, uh, maybe I did. It says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. 
the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Do you know the word here for uh, spirit in the Greek is pneuma. And what that actually means is breath or blast of breath. So this is what it literally means. I wrote it down. It says, with the word comes the power to fulfill the word. So in other words, the words of Jesus were not common. With his word comes power. And if we are equal co-heirs with Jesus, then with our words should come power. Our words should not be common word. Our words should be based upon the word. And if our word is based upon the word, then with our word comes power. Death and life is in the power of the... There you go. So when I take a look at this, his words had so much energy, they come with a blast. Of, they, they tra- his word has the power, let's say it this way, to transform lives. See, counselors don't have the power to transform lives. They have information that they've received and they've learned and they can give you information. But information without an impartation is useless. You have to have an impartation of the word that has power in itself to transform or otherwise you have dead religion. Today what we're going to talk about is relationships. And why is that? And that's because more than anything else, relationships transform people's lives. Yeah, more than the Word of God even. What? Yeah, the the Word of God has more power, but relationships are more effective. What do you mean by that? Well, it's relationships that cause you not to listen to the Word of God. So how can you transform or how can you change if you're in a wrong relationship? So if you're in a relationship in church... And you're in a relationship with someone who comes to church, but they're just religious. There's no power in that word. You need to either change your relationship or get revelation together to throw away your religion. Hmm. Come on now, this is good stuff. The model for success in ministry is this. Having a small group of people working together to change and transform lives. That's why we do small groups. See, we can't change and transform lives in this setting. What we can do is we can give information and some impartation. But if you don't come together in a small group with people, you're isolating yourself and not opening up yourself to be vulnerable for correction. In other words, you've camped a wall, a barrier around yourself, and, you've si- and you sing that song. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Just like a tree. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's kind of what we do. But God created us for relationship. So if we're not in small groups in some way or another, Houston, we have a problem. Well, heaven, Houston, whatever, Harriet, whatever you want to say, but the bottom line is we had a problem. (coughs) Well, how do you know? Rick, how do you know? That's a good question. Jesus had 12. That's how I know. Jesus is the example. 
So if we're isolating ourselves and keeping ourselves away from a small group, then what we're saying is we don't trust Jesus' model. We're doing it our own way. Let me tell you what, this is not Burger King. You can't have it your way. He's going to give you the pickles and the lettuce. He doesn't care if it upset us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just how he is. You know, Jesus held big meetings, but when you take a look at the big meetings that he held, he spoke these parables, and no one understood them. Not even his disciples. So what did he do? He had a small group meeting. He took his 12, and he explained to them the understanding of his parables. I mean, because... I mean, I'm sorry if I'm hitting you hard because you don't go to a small group, but shame on you. I'm just being honest with you. Hurts so good. Come on, Jesus, make it. Oh, anyway. So anyway, you take a look at the small groups. You take a look at this. And then what I want to do is I want to take a look at relationship with this. All right, let's, let's put it all together. In the book of John, from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, it's all in one setting, okay? It's right before Jesus is ready to depart, to, to be with the, the Father, to, or actually to go to the cross and then come back here, then ascend up into heaven. So all this happened in a very short period of time. They were, Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, and they had the uh, Passover uh, supper at the same time. All this stuff is going on at the same place, okay? So he's getting ready to die. And he knew he was getting ready to die. And, you know, when you're getting ready to die... What do you do? You grab the people who are closest to you and you bring them on in. And you tell them the most important things that you feel that they want to hear or they should hear. And, you know, I've, I've been in the ministry 24 years as in pastoral ministry. And, and what I've seen in 24 years or what I haven't seen, actually, I've never seen or heard anyone say, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have made more money. You know what I've heard time and time again? I wish I would have spent more time with my family. And I've heard that again and again and again and again and again. I've never heard anything else. You know, I mean, it's great making more money. I mean, that's cool. I'm not against that. But if we sacrifice our family, and, I, and this is the, the argument I hear, well, I'm going to sacrifice now so that way I can, I can, you know, do the stuff with my family later. First of all, how do you know you're going to make it? Okay, that's number one. But number two, I've never seen anybody do that. Because they've conditioned themselves to work, 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 work. So what do they do when they retire? They work, 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 work. They don't stop. They haven't learned. So so really that's that's a falsity. So in the book of John, he gets them all together. And he talks about two things. He gives them two things that he talks about. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about relationship. And in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So in other words, it didn't catch him off guard. He knew exactly what was going on. And he knew what he needed to do. Then he goes on to say, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So in other words, he was pulling together the 12 that I was just talking about. That's what that just said. It said the evening uh, meal was in progress. And the devil had already uh, prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You know, in Christianity, in our churches, we have, in a lot of churches, what's called foot washings. And it really doesn't mean the same thing as it meant here. And I'm going to explain this to you, what it's supposed to mean. So that way you have an understanding. Because it's a cool little thing for for some people, but I don't want you touching my feet. I'm kind of like Peter in this one. But I need to change. You know, because I'm thinking feet are just nasty. You know what I'm saying? I mean, huh. You know, where are them feet? Man, you know, I mean. So it says he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, Peter's like, oh, no. I've been with you on this journey for a long time, but you ain't touching this. You, you. And so Jesus, he said this, because see, Peter was uncomfortable. He, Jesus replied, he said, do you not realize now that what I'm doing but later, you will understand. So in other words, he didn't get it. And I'll tell you what, the church still doesn't get it. Because we've turned it into a religious, ritual, gross ugh, tradition. Why do you go on tradition? Because the traditions of men make the word of God of none effect. It makes me sick. But see, that's what we've turned it into. We've turned communion into that. We've turned baptism into that. We've turned all these things into that because we, we just do it because. I didn't get baptized just because everybody else in the church did. I got baptized, and number one, Jesus said to do it. And then number two, I realized what it was about. And I said, Lord, yes, come on. Here I am. Take me. Right? So anyway, what you need to understand in washing of someone's feet then, the lowest of low servants were the ones who washed the feet of people. Think about this. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, besides him there is no other, was washing the feet of twelve. Okay, let's, let's figure this out. They didn't have shoes and socks like we have. Our feet, even if you have the worst feet in town, is better than any of their feet. I mean, Jesus got there with the toe jam. I mean, it was gross. I mean, he got to this area, and he's, he's what? Why? Because, because he wants to get to the most darkest, nastiest place in your life. And he wants to cleanse the most darkest, nastiest, filthiest place in your life. And you can't do that without relationship. And in order to wash somebody's feet, you better have a good relationship with them. So what he was doing is he was showing intimate relationship with the disciples. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, unless I wash you. You have no part with me. Jesus is like, Peter, I love you. But if you don't let me into the darkest part of your life, if you don't open up to me the secrets and the sins and everything that you're hiding from everybody else, you have no part in me. 
I want to have part in you. I want to be I want to be connected to you. I want to deliver you. I'm, this morning, I'm going to give you five things that w- relationships, what they'll allow you to do. Number one. Serve one another. That's the first thing a relationship will allow you to do. Serve one another. Not only do you need to serve, but you need to be served. We need to serve one another. And when's the best time to be served? When when you're broken. When you're down. And how are you going to know if somebody's broken or down unless you know that? I talked to somebody this morning. I knew they were having an issue. But had I just been whatever... Had I, so what did I do? I prayed with them. Why? Because when somebody's broken and when they're down, we need to serve. No matter the area, no matter the place, no matter what's going on, we need to serve. And that's the best time to serve. In John chapter 13, verses 12 through 15, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He said, I'm all these things, but I want to be closer. He said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So in other words, not only should I get intimate and close with you, I want you as a body, to get intimate and close with each other. I want, not only did I come here to serve you, I want you to serve each other. And I'm going to say this, and and it probably doesn't apply to most people in this church. It could apply. It might not apply to anybody. But in most churches that I've been in, what I've heard is this. Well, we're the seniors. We pay all the bills, so it's our way. Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus is the senior. He paid all the bills. It's his way, and his way is to serve. So he didn't say, I've paid my dues. You young people serve me. He said, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve all the children, so that way I can show you all how to serve for your whole lives. See, the church will not go anywhere if we have this mentality that it's us against them. The way we're going someplace is we get down on our face before God and we cry out to Him. We allow Him to fill us up with the strength to serve. And then we serve. I've been serving God. Let's see, I've been in the pastoral ministry 24 years. I've been serving God almost 26. And I'll I'll say this. It gets better all the time. As long as I'm on my face and serving. I've never had a pastor tell me that they didn't want me to be. Well, I'll take that back. I did. There, there was one. I'm not going to tell you the story because I'm not going to throw him under the bus. Um, but all besides this one pastor, and I've worked for several pastors over the years, 
I've not had any besides this one want me to leave. And that's because I serve them unconditionally with no strings attached. Even if I did not agree with them. As long as it wasn't immoral, unethical, you know, as long as it wasn't in those areas, I served them. Even when one, two, or so got involved in some immoral, unethical activity, I didn't abandon their ship. I came to them. I spoke with them. I gave them counsel. I helped them. Because, see, the Bible doesn't say when a brother jacks up because everybody's going to get messed up some way. It doesn't say throw him under the bus and step on him and point all his faults out. It says those of you who are spiritual, come to him. Encourage them, restore them, bring them back. See, for years people have been throwing the jimmies under the bus. But you know what? How many jimmies do we have? You can look in the mirror and you find yourself as a Jimmy. Because if you sin, every sin is the same. So instead of throwing them under the bus, let's pray for them. If you don't have relationship with them, just pray for them. But if you have a relationship with someone, don't go up and rip them apart. Go up them and love on them unconditionally. If they refuse to hear your word, at that point you have to stop. At that, because, because they're not listening. At that point, you go do something else. But pray for them continually. Oh, I can't believe, I can't believe Chris Darnell didn't listen to Rick Becker over here. You know, I just can't believe that. Leah, can you believe that? I mean, I can't, that that joker, you know, I hope he gets hit by a bus. You know, I'm just kidding. Um, But the thing of it is, is we can't be so prideful that we think that, that we're that good. We need to be humble and be servants and understand that not only does God love them, because I love God, I get to love them. I don't ha- you don't have to love anybody. If you had to love them, then that's a rule. You get to love them. And when you understand you get to love somebody, it puts a different perspective on things. Amen? So he said, I have have set you an example that you should do as I have done. So the last night that Jesus was on the earth, before he died, he didn't have a mass crusade. He didn't get a whole lot of people together and say, the British are coming. The Brit-, you know what I'm saying? He didn't say, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die for all your sins. He didn't say any of that. He got 12 people together. He said, guys, this is what we've been preparing for. I need to give you some last-minute instructions so you don't go haywire. Peter, I know you're going to go crazy here in a minute, but, but anyway, we'll get to that later. And so what he talked about, he talked about the Holy Spirit, and he talked about relationship, talked about serving. Amen? Didn't go to amusement park, just talked about serving. I have a... a a care pastor here, his name's Lawrence Jersey, an amazing man. He's a retired pastor, so you would think retired pastor, okay, so he doesn't do anything anymore. No, he is over my care team. See, I don't know everybody, and you might think that I do just because I've seen you a couple times. No, I, I don't. 
I might, I might remember your name. Um, but it's not because of me not wanting to. It's just I run into so many people. And so I can't get that relationship with people. So I have a team that that's what they're called to do. So when, when you're in trouble, you don't call Ghostbusters. We call Lawrence. And Lawrence goes out there and he, he does what, what he's called to do. He goes after the hurting people. First Peter 4.10, it says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, and administering God's grace in all various forms. And that's what we do is, is we need your gift. There's a, there's a gift that you have that I don't have. And we need that to, to do this thing as a team. You know, it, if you're horrible with kids, I don't need you in my children's church or nursery. You know? If you think all those little brats need to be whipped, then there's no. No. I went to a church like that, whipped my son, and I wanted to whip that lady. I was an associate minister in that church. I was real mad. But... My mother-in-law took care of it. <laughs> the next thing relationships allow us to do is encourage one another. See, we, we all have times that we need encouraging. So we need to be encouraging. You know, the pastoral care ministry I talked about, it was Anthony and Alicia were having some problems. Uh, Anthony, he was told that they were going to have to remove his leg because of diabetes and the infection and stuff that was in his foot. And so what happened was Lawrence, he got involved. I got involved. I actually went over to the hospital, you know, right then and prayed with them and tried to find out what they could believe for. Because just because you think you can believe for a certain thing doesn't mean you really can. So I identified where they could believe. And I said, okay, this is what we're going to pray for. And so he didn't lose his leg like they told him he was going to lose his leg. He didn't lose his foot, but he did lose a couple toes. But that's what he could believe for. I believe that if he had more strength and belief and things in him, that he could believe for more than that. Because the doctors didn't even believe for that. They believed for the leg to be gone. You see what I'm getting at? So what we need to do is encourage people, instead of giving them negativity, encourage them with the word, truth in love. John 14, 1 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. The dis disciples were discouraged. They thought Jesus was going to take over the Roman Empire and he was going to put his throne. At the, you know, and they're like, no, gee, no, wait a minute, Houston. We can't allow this to happen. But up till that time, ministry had been fun. I mean, shoot, can you imagine rolling with Jesus? I mean, what's the first thing he does? Water, your wine. <laughs> People say, oh, they didn't get drunk. Yeah, they were all smashed. <laughs> Read the story. I mean, I, I am so sick. Well, no, no, he didn't drink that kind of wine. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He drank wine. He just didn't get smashed. That's why it says don't be drunk with it. Man, dumb religion. But the way he encouraged people is this. He didn't give them hell. He talked about heaven. He 
He talked about eternal life. Why do you think we have so many problems in church? It's because preachers are giving everybody hell. Those of you that, that, that pr used to pray with me in there, because I don't, I don't get in there anymore. I'm so glad I have a team that, that is doing this now, because I just kind of, I'm trying to get together with God before I come in here. But I would say, every time I was done, I, I'd look at all of them. I'd say, all right, now give them heaven. I don't know if I coined that saying or if I heard it from someplace, but I'll tell you what, I've said it so much, I think I invented it. But that's what we're supposed to do, is we are supposed to give people heaven. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another daily. How long? Daily. As long as it is still called what? Today? So that none of you may be hardened by the sins of what? Deceitfulness. So what does encouraging do? It, it causes you not to be deceived. And how do you encourage somebody? With heaven. When you encourage them with heaven, they won't be deceived by sin. That's what that just said. So that's how we need to encourage people. And it's not just a Sunday-only ministry. It said daily. Beverly Harrell, she's not here right now, but Beverly Harrell, she calls has anybody told you how awesome you are? She'll say, she'll call me up. She'll call different people in the church up. And she, that is her ministry. But see, that should be all of our ministry. Has anybody told you how awesome you are today? Yeah, I'm talking to you. See? Mark, has anybody told you how awesome you are today? See, I'm talking to you. That's what I'm saying. We, we need to be talking to each other and letting people know how awesome they are and how they've been created. Margo, we don't even have to tell. Well, that smile, has anybody told you? Because you're telling everybody else, you are awesome. You're a child of God. Amen? See, this is, this is church. This is how we're supposed to do things. I don't even know if we're going to get through all of this. We'll pick it up next week, though. I know, but I've got a meeting after this. I know, I know, I know. And, and the people who take care of children, they, they get really, really mad when you go overtime. Um, number three, relationship causes us to produce with one another. We're producing, causing fruits. See, there are people, they don't like big churches. And I say, you have a problem. Because God wants big churches. Because the bottom line is this, the bigger we are, the more we can produce. You know, 30 weed eaters in the hands of 30 people is a whole lot better than 30 weed eaters in the hands of one. <clears throat> Come on. We were called to produce more. So, well, wait a minute, but I like the small stuff. Duh. That's why you're supposed to be in a small group. So if you don't want to get in this church mentality of, oh, well, we just want to you know, keep it our four and no more. Get, if you want to get out of that mentality and, and, and produce like God wants us to produce, we need to, we need to create a bigger church and have small groups. If you don't find a small group that fits you, create it. Well, you know, there's not one out there. Well, what do you like? Well, I like to fish. There you go. Have a fishing small group. Just keep the beer out of it. 
and keep the wine out of it, even though we talked about it. <coughs> Excuse me, because I don't think you're going to be having communion. You'll be having consumption. And your fish will be getting bigger and bigger, and you know you only caught a minnow. Okay? All right. So what, is that, what does this mean? It means we do better together. When we all get together, we do better. And that's why we're trying to get this church going and growing. Do you know what I like about the tithe? I'll tell you. It's not based upon equal amounts. It's based upon an equal percent. So if somebody puts in $10,000 and someone puts in a dollar, but this person only made $10, you see where I'm coming from? It's equal. So just because somebody puts in more in your mind doesn't mean it's more to God. Because remember, Jesus said the one who put in the most that day was the woman who put in the two mites. She gave everything. You know, so let's... So, so this is the question I, the questions I get. I wrote them down because I've, I've written them down over the years. What about my unemployment check? What about my welfare check? What about an inheritance I've received? What about hitting the lottery? This is my question. Was it an increase? If you had an increase in any area of your life, then you tithe. I gave, I checked it out, I gave over $15,000 last year. I do not make close to $150,000. And that was my give. I checked it this morning. I looked at it, I was like, well, how much did I give? I, I looked at our taxes, because that's how I know. Because, you know, all these ministries send stuff back, and then Kim will send some stuff, and the, the, uh, an organization that I belong to will send some stuff. And, and so we all kind of, so I got to take a look at all of it. And so I went way above my tithe. Why? Because I get to. I enjoy it. Do you, do you realize that I don't ever really run into financial problems, even when it might look bleak to you? I've never not paid a bill. Ever? If I didn't pay a bill, it's because it didn't come in the mail. But if it's gone through that U.S. Postal Service or online, it's been paid. <laughs> Even when I was only making $250 a week as a youth pastor, and they said I couldn't have another job, and I had three kids living in a beat-up trailer next to a graveyard. We never had a bill not paid, and we always have been fed. Why? Because we trust God in our giving. I remember the first time I gave $1,000. What do you mean the first time? Oh, yeah, I've given $1,000 before I started. Oh, my God. That's a lot of money. I was scared to death. Remember that with James Payne? Yeah. I mean, I had to write an IOU. I didn't have $1,000. But I got it together. And I gave it. But you know what? After that, I was able to give more. I remember the first time I gave $3,000. What? I've never given $20. Well, shame on you. <laughs> because you got to remember, there was a, that time I couldn't give 1000 And at that other time, I couldn't give 3000 
But see, what had happened is my, my giving was able to increase because God was trusting me with finances. But if I took what was increased and just spent it on myself and just my, my kids and stuff like that, and that's all I did, then at the end of the day, I ended up with nothing and couldn't afford to give. It doesn't make sense in our minds. But God doesn't make sense in our minds. Amen? So, everyone is playing on equal terms. That's what that's about. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, it takes all the branches working together, connecting together in the vine to do something. A lone wolf branch can do nothing. Deuteronomy 32.30, it says, One man uh, will chase a thousand, two put ten thousand to flight. Number four. Protect or protecting one another. He says this. He says in John 16, 1, he says, All this I have told you. So he's talking about all this, all of you coming together. He says, All this I have told you so you won't go astray. The word there for astray in the Greek means scandal. So when we have other eyes, other people's eyes on us in a relationship together, and we have their eyes on us, it protects us from scandals. See, people can take a look at your life and they can see something in your life when you're doing something messed up that you might not be able to see. Anybody ever dated the wrong person? Okay. You couldn't see it. And you remember all your friends and everybody said, oh man, you need to get rid of them. Oh no, I love them. I love Tina Turner. What's love got to do, got to do with it? You know, I mean, that's the truth. Because, because you don't love them, you just think, oh, they're pretty hot. <laughs> just be real. So the thing of it is, is it puts other eyes on your life so traps that the enemy has devised against you can be pointed out. And that's what that's for. I was going to talk about Ecclesiastes, but I'm not. We're jumping to number five. And this is our last point right here. Pray or praying one another. And that's what we need to do is we need to pray. In John chapter 17, verses 1 and verse 9, it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. 